It's Wednesday, March 30th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross, from income investor James Early, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Guys, good to see you. Good nice to see you, Chris. Chris. Coming up, a new book from Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen is getting headlines. But guys, first, we will start with President Obama's speech on energy earlier today. He outlined his vision for America's energy policy, which included a goal of reducing U.S. oil imports by one-third by the year 2025. Uh, James Early, I will start with you. Uh, What was your reaction to the president's speech? I guess a presidential speech is sort of like a a rice cake. Like You feel like you've eaten something, but there's really nothing to show for it in your stomach. I I felt I enjoyed the tone, but we didn't really get to hear any proposals. And the whole point here is who pays. Uh, We would all like more clean energy. We would all like less dependence on, on, or almost all of us would like less dependence on foreign oil. But these are either going to be paid for by taxpayers in the form of subsidies to these uh, uh, producers of clean energy, which we have already, and we would just increase, presumably, or via ratepayers, like when we pay our electric bill. Uh, if, if there's some sort of federal mandate that utilities buy a percent of their energy from green sources. So bottom line, the two big wild cards here are going to be nuclear and and uh, natural gas. Nuclear is something the president continues to support, which I'm proud of him for. I think, I think we should not be reactionary based on Japan. There's a totally different set of circumstances our nukes are dealing with here, a lot safer. And natural gas is actually more installed gas capacity in the U.S. than coal, even though coal makes up half of our electricity. In other words, we have tons of of, uh, available generation, tons of natural gas. We're finding more and more. So I think that's going to be, that's the only viable cleaner. It's not super clean, but it is cleaner than coal in terms of of we're going to move. So a company like Chesapeake, Chris, might do well. So, Ron. James, I have a question for you. So Bring it on, Even Ron. though it may be expensive to the taxpayer, yes, are you yes. in favor of, of something like this? Doesn't it have to occur? Ron, my tree-hugging soul would love <laughs> if we dump tons and tons of stimulus money. Instead of, of building roads or, 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 or semi-necessary infrastructure projects, we, we do need them. I would love if we put much more effort into solar be- and, and, and wind and geothermal because a lot of these, Ron, are not way off the charts like they used to be. They're getting much more competitive in, in a market-based sense. So, yeah, with better technology. We will get there. What about your tax-paying soul? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. But hey, I the past two years I've gotten letters back from the IRS saying you've we think we've looked at your returns. We think you've paid too much. Here's five hundred and something bucks. So I'm happy to pay my taxes. I, I wouldn't talk about that on the air. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't go bragging about that. But we were downstairs uh, on the first floor where uh, Motley Fool Asset Management is sequestered and hidden from the rest of the company. But for we, good reason. Yeah. I, but we we were talking about this and um, Don. Kruger, uh, who works with me, said, oh, en- energy is going to look much different in 25 years than, than, than today. And I said, really? I mean, I'm sure people would have said that 25 years ago. And you think of the ways that society has changed in the last 25 years, the way technology, the workplace, uh, the, the role of, of women, the, you know, the distribution of, of people in the country. There's a lot of things that have changed. But the way that we get energy is almost exactly the same today. Eventually, eventually Don's going to be right. I guarantee it. <laughs> It just might not be in 25 years. Well, I guess, you know, you can always say it's going to change rapidly starting now. But, I mean, I'm going to take the under uh, for, well, as the devil's advocate on I, that. I actually agree with a lot of that, Bill. I, I think the question with solar and with wind, they can get more commercially viable, which is a good thing. But we can't More have commercially solar. viable isn't really commercially viable, well, though. So even if they are completely commercially viable, you have to say, well— that's still based on location. There are only so many places where the wind blows strongly enough to, to power wind. There's only so many places where the sun is, is strong enough, and, you know, maybe in 
100 years, we'll have even better technology that'll maximize every little photon. But that's not here yet. So even if we're running those at full capacity, we still have a huge, huge hole in our energy needs. And we're going to fill that with fossil fuels. I I would just say that it it strikes me that there's more talk that goes into these kinds of things in action. At, At least that's been the situation in all of our lives. So going back to your conversation with your colleague Don on the first floor, does Don have or do you have any ideas about where investors should be looking? If we're looking 20 years out or even just 10 years out, where are the opportunities for investors? Is it to take uh, a flyer on um, one of uh, James tree-hugging solar or wind companies? I, I don't know. It may be the same sort of case. Oil might be fit as comfortably into the you know paradigm as, as tobacco does. Something that you always expect to be dead soon, but it just is so enormously profitable, uh, and people are addicted to, uh, to oil in, in a you know way that they're addicted to tobacco as well. And these companies make gobs of money, and they have great choices on what to do with it, whether to pay dividends, whether to buy back shares. Uh, I, I, if I had to invest in one technology for the next ten years, I think it would be oil. James, the, the trend in of of first world countries like us migrating towards more and more solar is dwarfed, and I think Bill would agree with me on this by the massive global trend of of China, of India, of Africa, all these uh, emerging areas developing and moving just up into oil in the first place. Ron, I think some allocation to alternative energy is important. Um, the problem is which which alternative and which company. So I prefer to play that in kind of a basket way, whether it's through an ETF or, or a mutual fund or just uh, taking small positions in a number of stocks to spread uh, your risk across that, that alternative you, industry. You know, but that's kind of what we're uh, um, accusing Obama of doing here in his speech as well, is just buying the whole basket of next generation technologies and not really committing to, to anyone and, and just sort of, I guess, Hoping that one one of them works out without, but you know, is real money going to be put behind uh, any of them with any differentiation about their actual chance of of being a better than oil substitute? Well, still venture capital at this point, I would argue. This morning, Vanity Fair published an excerpt from a new book, Idea Man, a memoir by the co-founder of Microsoft. The book is written by Paul Allen, who claims that Bill Gates tried to take his shares of Microsoft following Allen's treatment for cancer. Uh, Bill Barker, Paul Allen at the moment is worth about $13 billion. What? Why so upset? I, 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 don't, I don't really it's know how, just, how upset he is. Uh, you know, as you say, he's got $13 billion. He's probably not that upset, but he felt like writing a book. He's and upset I, enough to, to write this book. Well, I think it... it has it includes uh, the excerpt that was uh, published today in Vanity Fair goes into uh, his originally fifty percent ownership, which he then agreed to drop to forty percent, and then agreed again to drop to thirty six percent at at Bill Gates' request, because as he acknowledges, Bill Gates was working harder uh, at the company on the company than he was at the time. He did come down uh, with cancer, and apparently. Uh, interrupted a meeting in which Balmer and Gates were discussing diluting his ownership of the company because they felt he wasn't uh, working hard enough uh, following his cancer treatments. And uh, that's how he recounts the story. And I guess if that happened to any of us, we might be uh, have some uh, feelings uh, that, that weren't entirely positive about uh, <laughs> our employers as well, I guess. James? Bill, these events happened a long time ago, though. Do you think this is just Paul Allen just wanting to tell the truth to record it for posterity? posterity or is it some sort of manspat situation that has prompted this? 
I don't know. I think that he probably wanted, and of course, nobody's going to talk about the rest of his book, right? I mean, we're right now we're talking about the only thing that anybody's ever going to talk about right. is is the catfight between him and Gates, and whether we can sort of gin it up into something more dramatic. So, yes, that's why it's in here, right? Because the publisher wanted him to recount that, and he wanted to write a book which is entitled, I don't know, you mentioned it two seconds ago, I've forgotten already. <laughs> Idea Man. Idea Man, sure, I guess he's got some ideas about things, and it's probably about what he thinks is going to happen down the road or something like that. No one's ever going to talk about that. They're just going to talk about whether Gates tried to screw him when he had uh, cancer. It just seems like really tough timing. I mean, I, I guess... It's the- evil publishers, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but even with that, I mean, it seems like like if this book were written... 10, 12 years ago, before Bill Gates had stepped down as CEO of Microsoft, before he had launched his foundation and all of these causes and teamed up with Warren Buffett and said, you know what, as billionaires, it's our responsibility to give all this money back. It just seems like, wow, you're, uh, Paul Allen and his publisher are picking maybe the exact worst time in history to this point to take a shot at Bill Gates because Bill Gates' personal brand has arguably never been stronger than it is right now. I, if he's writing a book about his life and he's going into why he left Microsoft, and I guess the reasons why he left Microsoft are you know, relevant and need to be recounted, whether it is the case that Bill Gates, who didn't have this sterling reputation uh, prior to leaving Microsoft, uh, that he does, admittedly, today, and I've uh, commented on that, you know, as uh, philanthropy as well. But I, I, I don't see how, you know, his last 10 years of, of great work change whatever the facts were uh, back 30 years ago. Ron, you've been quiet today. You yeah, plotting some smear campaign against As the old him? saying goes, $13 billion in the bank make you brave. <laughs> I don't think he's worried about uh, saying a couple bad things about Bill Gates. Uh, it's the truth as he sees it, and he's, he's uh, not really concerned about, about the fallout. I'm just curious who we all believe here, Bill Gates versus Paul Allen, if we just had to guess. You know, I think that the truth probably lies somewhere in between. Some of the Microsoft folks have already come out with uh, claims that there are inaccuracies in the book about, you know, Paul Allen said he attended this meeting and didn't attend that meeting. So, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in between. But again, it just seems like bad timing in terms of... Uh, Paul Allen's ability to get any level of sympathy. What, what would be? I mean, is he looking for sympathy? I, I, how many thirteen, you know, billion heirs are looking for sympathy? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think mean, he even cares I mean, he's got all. a cancer. Yeah. He gets sympathy for for I, that. I, I believe more Paul it, Allen, but, I would say. Uh, again, the the title of the book is "Idea Man: A Memoir by the Co-Founder of Microsoft." I wanted to just go around the table in closing, real quick here, um, and get a sense of. Who's your favorite co-founder? And it doesn't have to be from a public company. It could be. It could be Paul Allen. It could be the Woz, Steve Wozniak. Or it could be someone like, you know, Art Garfunkel, John Oates. You know, who's Bill Bill? Are you going to name everyone? So you <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just throwing those two out These there. are second bananas you're talking about, <laughs> well, right? But, but co-founders. So. Well, you know, I, I tossed this idea out to the uh, sequestered crowd down on the first floor. <laughs> so I'm going to have to credit Bill Mann. You make Mann. it sound like you're hermits down We are. You know that. <laughs> Nobody visits us down there. Uh, so Bill Mann, who appears uh, frequently on the show, I'll have to give him the credit. He came up with Roebuck as, uh, mm-hmm. of, of Sears and Roebuck fame, who, um, you know, also 
sold out uh, early on uh, in the company and uh, basically died uh, not not penniless or he ended up going back to the company after he'd lost everything in the, in the stock market crash in 1929. And he was asked uh, before that whether he was uh, jealous of Sears at all. And, and his response was, you know, he's dead. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. So uh, I think he had the right attitude. James Irvin? I don't know if it's co-founder situation proper, but in, in Beavis and Butthead, uh, <laughs> Butthead always gets all the attention, all the love. He gets much more camera time. But Beavis is actually, I think, the funnier one in, in a subtle way. James Early, your tree-hugging Beavis and Butthead fan. Ron? I've always been partial to Thomas Jefferson, co-founder of these United States of America. Wow. You're, uh, you're giving Jefferson co-founder status? I, there's a number of founding fathers. I was just going to say. I'm gonna, I'm, he happens to be one of my favorites. I mean, if you're, if you're just going strictly with the Declaration of Independence, that's, that's a big – that's 55. I was going to hit you with John Hancock. That's but you, can't, you can't throw TJ under the bus. I, I think he, going with the founding fathers, he's, he's used the terminology appropriately, apparently. I'm going Andrew Ridgely, co-founder oh. of Wham. Does that imply that you like Wham? No, he's just my favorite co-founder. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, Bill Barker, James Early, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks Chris. Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.